Go Tenant, the revolutionary new property software built by landlords and trusted by tenants. GoTenant is your one-stop property management assistant that will take the pain away from your tenant recruitment process and the management of your properties. From advertising your property to maintenance reporting, electronic signatures to full property management software. Stop worrying about double bookings and the hassle of unnecessary admin because GoTenant is here to enable you to seamlessly run your portfolio from anywhere in the world. Go to gotenants.co.uk to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to our podcast and we've got a really special guest on today and our next guest is someone that's really smashing it in the property industry, someone that you have probably heard of before and full of energy, I think that's fair to say. We've got Tricia Pegg and Tricia is a very inspiring lady. She's grown a portfolio of almost £4 million in less than two years. I mean, just wow, using none of her own money. She's a results coach. She's a speaker and she's done all of this whilst raising a family of three children, running the house and for some of it working a full-time job in the corporate sector as well. Now she's focused on continuing her growth even more than she already has and is looking forward to moving forwards on a target in helping 20 million people become financially free by the year 2037. Wow, I mean that is a massive target. Tricia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Rick. Thank you. Welcome. Now, let's just talk about that a little bit. So your challenge, if you like, is to help 20 million people become financially free by the year 2037. How are you going to do that? Listen, you have to. It's all about creating a ripple effect because sharing the story and sharing the pitfalls and the successes because everybody that is out there doing anything with with regards to investments whether it be property or anything you know you have to just take action so me taking action and sharing what i'm doing will then have a knock-on effect to other people so we do things like you know you mentioned obviously we're results coaches um so that in turn doing a direct coaching or whether it be in a group format or a one-to-many training because we do trainings and speaking um in front of sometimes thousands of people um, my partner, as you know, is an international speaker, and um, he, so he travels around. And it's about how we get our messages out there to people. And then if we touch even one person, that has a ripple effect because the effects that change their lives then change the people around them, and then those people change the people around them, and so on and so forth. So it's it's about it's about helping people to become free. So it's whatever free means to them. Because some people it's financially free, some people it's time, it's choice. You know, yes, they might have money, but they might have no choice and no time because that money runs their life. You know, their businesses aren't free, you know, and it's very much in the business. It's not passive. So, um, yeah, absolutely. There is there's some big, big goals there. Mm. And uh, I think we might have to raise them after the way it's been going recently. (laughs) So how do you quantify (laughs) that? I mean, how do you monitor that success? I mean, you're saying you want to make 20 million people free by the year 2037. What can you do to monitor that progress? How do you know if you've reached those targets? So the way that we work is obviously we've got our um, our coaching and mentor mentorships that we do in, in regards to property and business because the people that we work with, it's not all about property. It can be about other businesses as well. Um, it's just how they choose to be free and a lot of them 
generally tend to be property using that as their vehicle and it just because that's what we're known for very well but we have then the amount of people that we coach then we have the amount of people that come to any events that we hold as well and come and do trainings with us there and it's very it adds up very quickly very quickly on that basis okay so let's go back a little bit if that's okay Trisha let's go back and regress and if you could give our listeners a bit of background into um, you know where you came from and what led you into the property arena that you're in at the moment Uh, Of course. So, yeah, I've always been very um, out of the out of the ordinary, I'd say. I've always been quite a a loud, energetic character. And I sort of grew up in the environment where, you know, people said, calm down too much. And it, it wasn't it wasn't a very nice feeling because I was always very different from everybody else. And it was only when I started to go into the corporate arena of being in, in sales and um, I was in the IT managed industry for, for a number of years. And um, there was when it started to be a bit more acceptable to be noisy and to to have big, big goals. You know, I was like, yeah, I want to do this, 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 this. And I was like a thousand miles an hour all the time, as you can probably see. <laughs> and um, that was quite supported. But still, it was very much, shh, you know, you're not your voice needs to calm down. You've got to fit in in this environment. So um, I, I was in sales for a long time. And funnily, you wouldn't sort of guess this because the two and two don't go together. But as well as that, I was also in the performance industry. I was a singer. So um, I, I literally traveled for about four years as soon as I left school, um, traveling with the singing and dancing in, in big production shows around different countries. So that was really interesting. And when I wasn't doing that, I was in the sales um, industry and eventually became manager, loved it. And I was working really, really hard for money. So I was just I was building up and I was getting promotion after promotion. I was being headhunted by various different industries and it was going amazingly well and I was loving it and I was at the top of my game. But I was working hard for money and my days would just blend all into one. And and I was like, I I barely see my children. Mm. And I just thought, this is awesome because I'm earning a lot of money. You know, at the time, it, it was a lot of money how I was taught then. Um, but I never saw my children. So it was at what, at what cost really to my success. And I'm the kind of person that gives a thousand percent. So just a hundred C I'm always over the edge, a thousand percent. And, and I don't like to be mediocre, mediocre at anything. So if I'm in, I'm all in and I want to be the best and deliver the best for my company. So I couldn't half do anything. Mm. And then I felt like I was half being a mum, half being a business lady you know, half being a partner. And I, and I just thought I can't continue at this level. I just can't do it. So then I was like, well, I've always been obsessed with property. I mean, I bought my first house, which me and my partner lived in um, when, when we were 18. So we were very young in that respect when we did that. And um, I was very head on my shoulders at the time of, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to buy a house and I don't want to sort of rent a house because I don't, I'll never see that money again. So why don't we just buy somewhere? Um, we'd not been together very long, but we had known each other since we were very young. So um, it, it was a bit like he was my friend first. And he said, you know what? Let's just buy somewhere. Worst case scenario, it doesn't work out. We'll get a two-year fixed rate. It doesn't work out. We'll sell it. We'll rent it and then sell it if, if needs be and then split the money. And, and we both thought, yeah, let's go for it. So we bought the house 
and then you know it was it was tough going for a while because we were trying to pay all the bills how obviously we were raising a family from a young age as well and uh working this rat race that we were both working in the corporate sector so then Mark was a builder. He was a builder for a while as well. And uh, he sort of used to discuss property with me and, and how it works. And now we know that he used to work on some HMOs. Uh, but we didn't know what they were at the time. They were just big units to him. And um, he used to talk to me about it and uh, architecture I've always had a passion for and, and any property I've just loved. But it was the lack of education mm. on like, how do I buy investment property whilst paying for a mortgage myself already and working in a full-time job and raising a family mm. that that was where the quandary started and and really my my incessant need to to get more really started to grow so how did you educate yourself trisha i mean obviously you know going into hmos is a very um niche market you've got lots of legislation there's lots of um, housing act issues to consider licensing planning permission i mean if you don't know about the industry coming into it from the outside is very daunting and you know lots of things that could trip you up so what did you do to to help your knowledge that's, do you know what? That is amazing that you say that. It's, an, it's a really, really good explanation because it is tough. It's not an easy thing to do. And I, what I would definitely recommend is that anybody that considers going into HMO, it's one of the most beautiful markets to be in, I would say. I absolutely adore it. I've swallowed the encyclopedia on HMOs. I find the information intriguing, how it grows all the time and all the rules and regulations are there for a reason to protect tenants and landlords alike. They're not there to trip you up. They're there to protect you and the tenants. So what I would say is if you are considering getting into it, invest in some education first because the money that you can get fined and the, you know, it is scary. There, mm. there is 20, 30 grand fines and custodial sentences if you don't do it correctly. So do it properly from day one. I invested in education within my property investment journey because as you know, I was a bit time poor with regards to the corporate job and children. So I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to get some education so that I can do it right from day one because I haven't got time to make mistakes and go back and fix them, nor have we got the money because at the time we sort of thought, well, we have to do this with our own money. And when, when it came to learning about property and the different strategies we basically learned about buy-to-lets and then HMOs and flips, commercial to residential. And when I looked at the first ones that you kind of start with, because the way that we were taught was, oh, you start with buy-to-lets and then you work your mm. way up to eventually get into HMOs. Yeah. So when I, when I started doing my due diligence, being the thousand percent person that I am, I was like, well, hang on. It sounds, <laughs> about, it sounds about as much work to do the HMO as it does to do the buy to I know. I don't get that. I mean, I know, I, I mean, I know the company that you use to do your, your training and I know that's their kind of their mantra, you know, start, yeah. start small one and then work higher. But if you're going to put that kind of effort in and that amount of energy and you're learning anyway, then, you know, why do that for a hundred quid a month profit when you can do it for six, seven, eight hundred a month profit on potential? the same house <laughs> exactly i was like this is insane and the thing is like buy to lets are great and everything but i also love the security that hmo offered me because yeah. if i had like 
five rooms in one, for instance, so a bit more of a, a, a entry level commercial, I would say, is that if one of the rooms were rented that paid my mortgage, the other four rooms were profit. Yeah. So I was like, well, this is brilliant, because then if you do have a void, then you're covered. If the buy to let has um, a void and you can't rent it, what do you do? You know, so I, I was very much on that regard as well. It's like looking after the future interest. Mm. How do I grow it? And, and absolutely, Rick, I was like, either a hundred pounds or a thousand pounds. It's crazy. I know it? which one I would rather choose. <laughs> and yes, you're absolutely it's a bit right. More of an investment. There's no it, middle but... ground with the buy to let, is there? Because if you're either full or you're empty, and that's it. You know, you've yeah. got to pick up the void with a HMO. I mean, I don't know um, whether you do minimos and things. We don't do that. We have a minimum of five. We won't look at anything unless it's got five rooms. But then, if we've got one void then we are still making profit if we've got two voids then we're still breaking even so you know i mean the the attractiveness of hmos for pretty much as much work is um you know is very uh tempting should we say now trisha you have got i mean you say on your on your opening bio that you've gone to almost four million pounds worth of property in less than two years so firstly well done that's a great Thank achievement you. and secondly you say you've used zero of your own money in order to get there is that correct Absolutely, yes. So talk to me about that. How have you managed to do that? Wow, I mean, it's crazy. So obviously, like everyone, I was very much like, how do I do this whilst I'm paying for a mortgage and don't have a lot of, um, you know, spare income, so to speak, and savings and stuff with children, it's it's very tough. So when I did my training in property and things, we, we learned a lot about people that have money but don't have time and don't have the education in it and as we've just discussed you know you agree with me Rick that you know you don't go into something like a HMO lightly you need to know what's going on in the industry you need to know the regulations legislations so if somebody that is out there that is doing very well in the industry is requesting for a a loan that is going to pay them 10 times what the bank will and it's only for a fixed term period with great security, people will lend. Mm. People will lend you that money because they've got safe. I always say it's as safe as houses because it is. Mm. Realistically, no investment is 100% guaranteed. No investment is, okay? But one of the most safe ones is property because especially on a HMO front because it's a refinance strategy, so it's a very quick in and out for us, is that, you will always need housing. Somebody will always need a place to live. That is one thing that is for sure guaranteed. So are you buying your portfolio, Tricia? Is it your strategy to purchase, refinance? Absolutely. So our, our um, portfolio, so that that almost four million that we've uh, that you've tagged there is a hundred percent ours, and uh, we've we've grown that ninety three percent of it to be precise is HMOs, and we've got generally like you said ours are at least five bed plus. We've we've only got one that's a four bed, um, but that's in an Article Four area which we can touch on if you like, and um, that is maximising the space in that current one. But that will be a two thousand pound a month rental. So, yeah. you know, it, it kind of swings around about a little bit. Yeah. So it's worth, we could have squeezed more, but I'm not very much of a sardine HMO landlord. I like big rooms that mm. will rent for a long period of time and no voids. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I mean, what we're doing here, we're providing good quality accommodation for people that yeah. can't afford to get on the housing ladder. And as you 100%. say, you know, we are creating opportunities for people here. I mean, that, I've got a question about that later. That kind of comes on to, um, you know, what the general perception of landlords is to the general public. But we'll touch on that in a second. Now, whilst we're on the subject of financing, now, lots of times people will say, well, you know, I can't start property because I don't have any cash. And to start, you either need a lump sum or you need a rich family member or you need to be in a group of people that are prepared to lend you money. How do I find the people that are out there that are prepared to invest in these deals, in these uh, properties for this great return that you speak of? Where are these people, Tricia? Brilliant question. So none of the investors that have invested in us over the over the last 18 to 24 months, are people that we've ever met before. We started in property. They are completely new. Um, some of the investors now that we're working with, I've only ever spoken to on the phone. Um, we've never met them in person as well. But um, putting yourself out there is the key. Every single investor that we work with, we have raised via social media. Mm. So use use this free wonderful tool that is out there and, and available to you people massively underutilize and also it's not about who you know it's about who knows you mm. the investors that we work with some of them contacted us and had said i've been watching you for a year you know they've been watching us for a year never liked commented or shared anything that we've put out there online but then all of a sudden one deal crops up they're like boom i've been waiting for a year watching you with interest and I'm like wow I've never heard of you or seen you before and they're like yeah because I was just I like to stay under the radar but I'm really interested in that deal and then you know they've they've turned into somebody that you you know have invested in several several hundreds of thousands with us and just keep going again and again and again mm. and we've got people that we work with also an investor that, that was our first investor actually um, I shared in a, a testimonial the other day um, online about from my test from my investor because I, I like to get testimonials from my tenants and my investors as to why they worked with us and what did they get out of it? What are the results? Because that is what an investor wants to know. How safe is my money? So who are you? If you if you if the first time that somebody hears from you is when you're asking for money, what credibility do you have? How safe are their funds? That's all they're bothered about. What is my return and how safe is my investment with you? Mm. So I'm going to challenge you here, Trisha. I'm going to say to okay. you that um, because you know, this is this is my my police interview techniques coming in here. And I'm going to say, <laughs> well, OK, it's all right for you because you are absolutely full of energy. And I think that's fair to say. And that's a compliment. You are quite extrovert and you are very much what appears to be a people person because I, I see your posts and I love the energy and you you know you are a really nice friendly person I can see that you're probably quite easy to work with as well but what about the people that are a little bit introvert and they want to get involved in property and they've got what I call the what if scenario the what if mentality so what if I can't talk to people. What if people don't understand me? What if people don't think that I'm credible? So what advice can you give to those people as someone that is generally outgoing and friendly and easy to get on with? How do the people that aren't like that get out there and start networking? That's an exceptional question. So, you know, and one actually that we don't get as often as you think. Mm. Um, 
quite an interesting one because I, I, first of all, I started with no property. So I didn't always have the credibility in regards to my portfolio. I started with nothing as well, like everybody else. So it is possible to start with nothing and not have experience because everyone thinks that they won't get investment because they don't have any portfolio to speak of. But you have to start somewhere. So you have to be flexible in the amount of percentages that you were willing to give away. Work with people on joint venture basis. You've got to give a different variety of options just to start. Just get yourself out there and have a more unique proposition. But is so, the problem believe- getting out there? Is that the problem? So how can you help these people getting actually out get out there? Yeah, Absolutely getting out there. So believe it or not, my, my partner Mark was an introvert person before we started this journey. He, I've always been very extrovert, as you say, but he hasn't. And if you were to look back at the videos when he first started doing it, because I, I told him to get out there, start doing this, his videos, when you look back at them, you're like, wow, actually, I can really see how nervous he is and the breathing heavily and things. But the, the most important thing is if you are afraid of being out there, that is more than enough reason to do it you just have to start start with posting you don't have to do a video you could just post some um statuses but if people start to see you regularly enough then they start to gain interest and go oh they're they're posting again oh what's going on with this a photograph of you on a street doing viewings with a caption on it just be, start being out there. You don't have to be a video vlogger all the time, but I do implore you to do it because if you're uncomfortable being out there, then nobody's going to know who you are. You yeah. have to start getting out there. Now, people can start with going to networking events. There's a plethora of networking events for property investors. I personally don't go to a lot of property-related um, meets because a lot of them are there to raise money. <laughs> so um, I go to breakfast meetings, um, which are business business events, which are like 6 a.m. because they are amazing because the people that are there are there because that's the only time they have available is 6 a.m. <laughs> because they're at work in their corporate business that they're, they are a giant in the corporate world. I've got one investor that we, we've started working with recently that is a multi, multi, multi-millionaire and he only has from 6 a.m. till 7 free on a Friday. How sad is that? So he he's raking in the money, but he just he does not have the time because his business rules his life. So the the most important advice I would give you if you are introverted, because we have coaching clients that we work with that are massively introverted people, hugely like when when we first started speaking to them, they were like this, and I, the thing is that I, you know, and and it's really really crippling for some people because it's the psychology of it. But get comfortable being uncomfortable because the moment you start getting out there, I guarantee your your perception of what other people think of you will be completely abolished. When you start getting out there and being real and being somebody that is relatable, so somebody that is anxious, that is stressed, that finds it difficult, tell people that. Be honest. Mm, that yeah. the moment you are relatable online, you will have an audience bigger than you have ever imagined. And get, the compliments that you get will give you huge abundance of confidence. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. I love it. That's a great uh, strap line. I really like that. So, <laughs> folks, if you take anything from this, get comfortable being uncomfortable. It's really good. I love it. Okay, so <laughs> Trisha, moving on into your property journey at the moment then. So have you got anything you can give us right now as a case study just to inspire the listeners? 
Absolutely. So, wow, this one is going to knock your socks off. So the recent one that we um, have just completed our new mortgage on. Um, so we started buying the property at, it was from an auction. So the purchase price of the actual deal was 113250 It was a four bedroom end terrace. So, you know, quite pokey, but sort of a TARDIS because it went back. It was all the way at the back of the thing. But you look at it from the outside and think, well, it's not much to the imagination. You get inside and it sort of goes on and on. So four bedroom end terrace for 113250 in a sorry state. And um, it was about 120 all in when you put factor in your auction fees and everything. Um, we spent all in 176000 So that was the purchase price, auction fees, buy costs and renovation costs to turn it into a six bedroom, all um, five bathroom HMO. Because on this particular uh, property, because we always generally put on suites in all of the rooms where possible. Um, but on this particular property, the council room size requirements were slightly higher on this um, area. So we couldn't, we had to do one um, shared bathroom between two bedrooms. Um, but still, again, in this area, they've got no HMOs with en suites in. So we're very lucky to have a, um, a very, very popular HMO anyway. Now, we have just completed a new mortgage um, on the commercial refinance for this property of £350,000. Wow. Absolutely. So not only did we get all our money back, but we cleared a profit of um, just under 100000 as well. Goodness me, that's amazing. Thank you. And that property cash flows um, £1,000 net as well every single month. For the next 10 years on a fixed rate mortgage with our commercial um, mortgage, mortgage business. Can I ask you, Tricia, what's your loan to value on that property? 75%. So still good. You know, it's not over Absolutely. No, no, absolutely. So we've got some, some money left in there. And, um, you know, we have also done a part repayment mortgage. So we're not leaving ourselves as a because, you know, a lot of people always say to us, you know, do you go interest only all the time? Listen, it's, it's what works for you. We're we're not going to advise somebody on what financial position they should be in because it's what works for us. Listen, what what I'm I talk about and what I share is is my experience. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it my experience. Yeah. So I can share what works for me. And sometimes it is interest only. Sometimes we'll do a, a like on on big ones like this. We'll do a partial repayment. So over the ten year period, we're going to pay back twenty percent of what we've loaned Good. so we're, we're gonna pay back some of that leverage and then in 10 years we'll probably remortgage again with the way that the market's going so it's it's just how it works for you so just always assess it on a case-by-case -case basis if you want to leverage at this time in your journey over leverage if you are in a position where you could leave a bit of money in and get a slightly less loan to value and um, then again brilliant but we are all about recycling right now and yeah. growing and doing it again and if you're in an acquisition phase then you know this momentum investing makes an awful lot of sense yeah um, i mean we generally recycle our portfolio out probably every three or four years go out buy some more property and continue to do the same so trisha in terms of deal sourcing now loads of people now there's an as you know there's an awful lot of negativity around and that's you know sort of indicament with anything that anybody does in business if someone's successful there'll always be somebody at the bottom shouting at them telling them they're doing it wrong and i know that you know i run a really big successful facebook group and we do get an element of negativity in there as well and my next point is there's people out there that just don't get the fact that there are no money down deals out there there's no no such thing as an 
all-out deal. Now, you've just given us an example there of um, something that has worked really, really well for you. There are deals out there that you can refinance all your cash back out, but you've got to find them. So how do you do that, Tricia? What is your deal sourcing process? Wow, that is a question, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I mean, money out deals is all I really focus on. I do work on a worst case scenario when I'm doing my due diligence because commercial valuations are, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Rick, Mm -hmm. it is what mood the value is in on that day. But what I do do to ensure my valuations at the end is I have a valuation pack that I put together that is so thick with information like my valuer said to me the other day oh my god when I sent them my valuation pack and I was like brilliant is that a good oh my god and she was like yeah because it does help me I mean it's a lot of information there that I don't have to search for you've given me all the facts up front so that is one thing I do to secure my value at the end and so far we we are all money out we we don't have we haven't done a deal yet where we've left any money in and that is how I I, ha- I plan to continue doing so. Yeah. The way that I source my deals is obviously I do my due diligence based on my market demand and research for the area. I, I work with um, a bank specifically, um, a commercial bank, that I know what they look for to make it commercially mortgageable. I ask them, what is it that makes it commercially mortgageable to you? Because a lot of our business is based on commercial mortgage, mortgage with our HMOs. So we won't go for it if we don't believe we can go to a commercial value at the end. Now, again, like I say, I always work on a worst case scenario and sometimes it could be a money left in if it doesn't get valued commercially. But we do everything to make it commercial. And also, we constantly work with different valuers in our area. We probably work with about five or six now on different properties um, and they've all given us the similar valuations because it's how it there's a way of valuing HMOs for valuers, but you have to do it in the way that makes them commercially mortgageable. You can't buy a house that was, so for instance, this is another example for you. We've got another house that was £100,000 that we bought. The highest sold price in that street or within that vicinity was 135000 Now that was done. That was finished and renovated that house. So would you then look at my buying a HMO potential as 100000 going, whoa, hang on, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a lot of people did. Okay, but what I said was, well, that's not comparable for me, that 135, because I'm going to be investing in a HMO here. This is going to become a commercial HMO. So therefore, the bricks and mortar value on the street that's sold price, that doesn't that's no relevance to me. So I look at within a one or two mile radius, what would a house price that in that area and in that vicinity of a five bedroom or a six bedroom house have sold for bricks and mortar? That's a comparable for me. Or other HMOs in the area. So then when when we were all in, so this particular deal, we were all in for 162,000. So that was buy price, costs to buy um, and the renovation. And we remortgaged that. And again, this was going outside of the grain because a lot of people out there say you can't get commercial mortgages on five bedroom HMOs. Well, we got a commercial mortgage of 245,000 on this. So again, we got all money out and it paid us about 25000 extra as well. So what and are you using to find these deals though, Trisha? Are you looking at Rightmove, Zooplo? Are you going to auctions all the time? Are you doing direct campaigns? How are you getting these houses? 
Absolutely. It's a mixture of everything. So right move, Zoopla, we go direct to vendor. So if I'm walking and I've got a few properties on the street, I'll pop my I'll pop a little handwritten note through the door saying I'm interested in your property. Let me know if you're interested in selling. I talk to my neighbors all the time. The agents that I work with know know me very well. It's all about creating relationships. What in fact, if there's one bit of advice I can give you guys, ringing the agents consistently, getting on their nerves is a hilarious method. But don't, it's not about what everyone tells you, go out there and, and ask for a cup of tea. Why are you going in there for a cup of tea and coffee? Yeah? Stop wasting theirs on your time. Just continuously call them and stay in their mind. But one very important question I would ask my agents, what do I do to become the first person you call when a deal like this comes in? Yeah. So a lot of my deals are from the agents, and but I just buy them before they go to market because they ring me and say, Trisha, I've got a property I'm going to photograph in the morning. It is so yours. And not only that, they when they go and view a property with the vendor, when they're getting the vendor to sign contracts, they sometimes pre-frame them as to what my offer is going to be because they'll know it's a my property. And they know, they'll do that because they know I'll buy it. Yeah. And I'll follow through. I will follow through. So it's about getting that relationship. It took me six months to get that relationship, Rick. I didn't do that straight away. And it's a form know? of networking in itself, isn't it? Trisha, 100%. Really? It's about getting yourself out there, telling people what you do and forging relationships. I mean, we, did a, we did a huge deal about a year ago. It's a big, you know, it's going to make us a lot of money. Um, and it was one phone call. We made one phone call to bring investors into that deal. And that investor was part of the network that we forged over over the years so some really great advice there Tricia so whilst Thank we're you. giving out tips um, I think you've just done one so let's say what are the, the two biggest tips that you could offer for new investors wanting to enter the HMO market let's just keep it to two otherwise we could go on for about 30 I think <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so two big tips is know your market so if you want to become a HMO investor, get get knowledge, learn the um, all the legislation and regulations and things, and in in that alone, that will help you searching for area demand. So it's people get panicky all the time and ask me, so how do you choose your area? It, the housing crisis right now is worse than it has ever been. Okay, it is worse than it's ever been. Um, and HMOs are not what they used to be. They are not student digs, shared houses with one bathroom between the lot of them anymore. Okay, HMOs now, the way that they're created now, are affordable housing for people. I have six different types of tenants that rent my HMOs, some being couples that are renting it for one to two years while they save a deposit for a, a buying a house of their own. And then you've got other professionals that are working away, etc. There is so many demands. Now, what I would say is search an area that is near a town centre, has hospitals, um, any manufacturing plants, any airports, anything like that around it guys that would make it a good investment area for hmo and then obviously there are different kinds of websites like spare room etc that you can search on to check and confirm your demand so so it's just start is the one bit of advice start doing your research getting your due diligence in place because there is so many deals to be had out there it is ridiculous the reason that you know, councils are, and, and the VOA are going out there now to do individual bedroom tax and things. A lot of it is to do with the fact that they've not developed enough property in their area. So actually, it's just about creating more housing in their numbers. 
thing because a one bed a house that was one dwelling on their number and that is a six bedroom HMO now becomes a six a six um, number on their on their list. So that's that's one of the reasons that they're doing it is to increase the amount of housing on their numbers. So just start, take a move and get out there. And the second thing is absolutely get out there and be known, be heard, start advertising yourself, start getting to know your agents in your areas to create relationships. That is where your deals will come from. Tell them what you want. They they are experts in the areas. What deals work? If I was to come to you tomorrow with a HMO that you could rent tomorrow, where would it be and what would it look like? That yeah. That is some advice I would give on that. That's and fantastic. then let the agents bring it to you. Let the agents bring you the deals. It is. I mean, it's about getting yourself out there. And I could just add to that as well. Not just getting yourself out there, but providing value for other people as well. So if you can get yourself out there whilst providing value and good quality content, then more people will warm towards you. So I've got a couple more questions, Trisha, if you're OK, for a few more minutes. Of course. Um, passive income. Lots of people say, you know, get into property, you can get the systems and make it passive. Now, I've got my own thoughts on that. What do you think the meaning of passive income is? What does it mean to you? So, yeah, we talk about this quite a lot. So you've got passive income and working income. So we've got a mix of the two. So passive income to me is where you're able to set a system up where you're getting paid, whether you get out of bed or not. So if you want to just sit and do nothing for a week, you can still get paid doing so. So property, in my opinion, there's a mixture of a bit of working and passive. So you work initially to set up your property, to get it to the point of refinance, to get it to rented. Then it becomes passive because then it's done. You don't have to do anything because we've got managing agents that manage it and deal with the tenants. So we don't have to get involved after the stage where we've done our refinance. But initially, you have to work a bit because you have to manage your build teams, you have to get your agents in place, you have to find the tenants, you have to find the property, etc. So that's the bit of working at the beginning. But then, absolutely, it creates a passive income afterwards. So passing in, a passive income is, is something where you earn money whether you get up or not. Fantastic. Working income is, is obviously, it requires you to be there to earn it. Great answer. And do you read books, Tricia? I do. I, I'm very much of an audio person, um, okay. I have to admit. Um, mm. What was the last audio I'm, book you listened to? The Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. Oh, fantastic. And would you say that was a good book? What would you rate it as? I would say I definitely rate it a 10 out of 10 for information. It's one that I had to reread um, because there's a lot of number thing in there. And I'm very much not the analytical version um in in our in our relationship me and mark are very different he's the analytical one and i'm set i'm certainly the right brain creative i just go for it <sighs> i can see so, mark pulling yeah. you back on those reins saying yeah, and you yeah, yeah. you rushing forwards trying to chump at the bit i can see it absolutely yeah <laughs> i, I think the good so. thing we we sort of say and what i love about our relationship is that what I don't have, he's got, and what he doesn't have, I've perfect. got. So together, we're 100%. Absolutely. Sounds like a perfect, perfect business <laughs> and family relationship as well. Trisha, thank you so much. I've got one last question for you before you go. I like to ask all of our audience, just a bit of fun. Are you a cat person or a dog person and why? I am a definitely, well, I love all animals, absolutely, but I'm definitely a dog person. We have a Dalmatian, yeah. and he's just got the best personality ever, and he's my fur baby, that's why. 
Fantastic. And we are a dog person. We've got two stupid Labradors. So fantastic. Aww. Trisha, you're an absolute inspiration. So if our listeners want to contact you, how can they do that? So, yeah, um, I'm on Facebook, Trisha Pegg, and our property business is Harvey Property Solutions Group. And um, we have actually got a fantastic event coming up. So if anything, if you got value from the podcast that uh, you're listening to now, and I'm really grateful for you having me on, Rick, it's it means a lot. I know you're um, extremely well um, thought of in the industry, so I really do appreciate this um, and using this as a platform for myself. So um, we actually have an event on the 17th of November, which is a real life property wealth um, creation event and um, if you want to know more about that just inbox me or go on Facebook and um, we can send you the link to sign up if you're interested in attending it's a one-day event and we'll be sharing the 10 most lucrative strategies that we've used in how we've grown a portfolio of almost 4 million in less than two years. Fantastic. That's the 17th of November. What's the location, Tricia? It will be in the East Midlands. In but it doesn't, Midlands. Matter, it doesn't matter if it's on the moon, guys. If you want to get yourself free and you want to know more about how to progress yourself in this industry, then make yourself available. Just take action. Fantastic. Trisha, it's been an absolute pleasure. I feel energised just by listening to you. <laughs> you really started my Friday off Yay. really well. So, you know, thanks so much for being on board with the with the podcast. Listeners, you've got Trisha's details there. If you want to contact her, you can do that directly. Trisha, thank you so much. Thank you. Go Tenant, the revolutionary new property software built by landlords and trusted by tenants. GoTenant is your one-stop property management assistant that will take the pain away from your tenant recruitment process and the management of your properties. From advertising your property to maintenance reporting, electronic signatures to full property management software. Stop worrying about double bookings and the hassle of unnecessary admin because GoTenant is here to enable you to seamlessly run your portfolio from anywhere in the world. Go to gotenants.co.uk to find out more.